One of my favorite things to do when we go to Jackson Hole to see my family is to take our kayaks and head up to a tributary known as the Oxbow, just off of the Snake River. Some of you who have maybe traveled to Jackson are aware that the Snake River flows through. Some of you have probably seen the famous shot of the Snake River by Ansel Adams bringing Jackson Hole to fame. Now the reason that I enjoy this time is you start off just below the dam and you essentially take the kayak down the main part of the Snake River for about 10 to 15 minutes. But then what's important is in order to get into the Oxbow, which is the area of which we're going to be visiting, you have to take a hard left turn. Now once in there, it's a beautiful time because the Oxbow essentially is a tributary of water that really remains still. There's not a lot of flow in that part of this river. Why is that so important? Well. To be honest with you, what I love about it is you have opportunities to sneak up on wildlife in a kayak as long as you're quiet. We've seen so many animals in the oxbow just doing their thing because we are out on the water and we're not disturbing them. We've had opportunities to see moose, we've had opportunities to see bear, eagles, osprey, all kinds of wildlife as we enjoy this time in the oxbow. But what I will also tell you that's interesting is as you start on the Snake River, paddling down the river is quite easy. You're going with the flow of the river. But interestingly enough, the moment that you turn left, you begin to really feel the push and the pull of the river against you. And I've often wondered what would happen if we missed the turn. Why am I talking about going with the flow? And why am I talking about how hard it might become to go against the flow of a river? Friends, what I want to talk to you about this morning is, is I think oftentimes in our lives we tend to go with the flow on the river of wisdom. We tend to take worldly wisdom and everything is fine, but then the moment that we seem to turn or we try to go upstream and utilize biblical wisdom, we begin to discover just how strong the current of the world can be against us. Let me just make an example. Obviously, we have the words what? If it feels good, do it. Really? Is that wise? I mean, a lot of times I've thought that things might feel good and after doing it, I've come to find that that wasn't the wisest decision to make. We have other wisdom, have it your way, right? It's all about you, what you want, what you wanna do. We have other wisdom too, what? Get even, or you know what? Get back at that person. But then we come to discover as we look at biblical wisdom, we see a very different pattern. We don't see the words, have it your way. We don't see the words, if it feels good, do it. We hear these words of forgive. Pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies. Go out and be the gospel. Submit yourself to the word of God. And so interestingly enough, as we travel down the world or the river of wisdom, when we go with the flow, when we go with what the world says, it's very easy to get where we're going. But how many of you would say that the moment that we begin to turn toward true wisdom, we begin to see just how strong the current is against biblical wisdom these days? 
We're going to ask a question this morning that I want to just throw out to you, and then we're going to be looking in the book of James as he speaks about two kinds of wisdom, and I pray this morning that it will encourage us to recognize the importance of submitting ourselves to the Word of God and seeking the wisdom that we see in scriptures. And the simple question is this, that the wisdom of the Bible is old and outdated. Have you ever gone to anybody and you ever talked to them about the gospel that maybe don't know Jesus Christ or haven't heard the good news? I mean, the Bible's old, right? I mean, come on, that thing was written thousands of years ago. It doesn't really have any relevance to us today. Can it have any importance? Can it actually tell us about life and who we are and how, do we, how to be living our lives in a greater purpose? I don't really need to pay attention to it, do I? How many of you have gotten that response from individuals, particularly in our progressive movement that we're seeing as the world continues to become increasingly postmodern, and as we're beginning to discover, post-Christian, particularly in the United States? This morning, what I want to do is, is I want to read to you as James is speaking to the church. He's talking about two kinds of wisdom, and he's giving a great warning to the people of God. Helping them to see that the wisdom of the world is one that's filled with pride and arrogance and self-promotion and self-delight. But then he says, there's another kind of wisdom that I encourage you to look at that. And that is biblical wisdom. That is to look at the scriptures, to see what they say, to begin to live your life in the manner that the scriptures speak toward. And so James starts off and he says, who is wise and understanding among you? A great question. Okay, it's a rhetorical question in a lot of ways because he's sending out, he's saying, who of you is wise? Well, let's see. Let's see how wise you truly are. And then he continues on and he says, let him or her show it by his good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. James just puts it right out there, doesn't he? He continues on and he says, For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. And then the transition, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Brothers and sisters, this morning we're speaking about two types of wisdom, and we're beginning to discover that as we continue in the world, we see just how strong the flow of worldly wisdom and its influence can be on the church and how we need to look and recognize that perhaps the wisdom that we're receiving from the world isn't the wisdom that we should be following. Now please hear me on this. I'm not saying that we shouldn't consult and counsel with other people, but I think we need to think through our actions and what we do. Because so often it's easy to get upset, to have somebody hurt you, and our first inclination is what? Call a lawyer. I'm going to sue them. I'm going to get them for all they got. Or we get hurt by someone, and our first reaction is what? Get even, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. 
Or we might have a challenge or a struggle and we tell ourselves, you know what? I'm going to do what I need to do. I'm not going to look to God. Or better yet, maybe it's that we go into some sort of financial obligation and we look at it and the world says, I just shave a few numbers off. Kind of pad the books a little bit and you'll be fine. And friends, what I want to tell you is, is that if the church isn't looking to God and moving toward the wisdom that he has, then the world looks at us and they see nothing but hypocrites. They see people who profess God with their mouth, but they don't live under the wisdom that God can give. And so the first thing that I want to tell you, the first thing that I want to show you is, and it's interesting, there's some commentary that talks about sort of this aspect in James. It's a practical book. We've seen, been seeing about how essentially through this entire book, James is saying, do this or don't do this, or act that way or don't act that way. This is sort of the rubber meeting the road in how we live our life for Jesus Christ. And in this part, he's speaking very seriously to the church because he's recognizing that there are people in the church who are professing their faith in Jesus, but they're living under worldly wisdom. Could that be so in our church today? Friends, what I want to tell you is in this, it speaks essentially to Proverbs. We're going to look at a lot of Proverbs this morning, seeing and hearing where wisdom comes from, the importance of wisdom, and why we should look at it. And the first thing that I want to turn you to, if you have your Bibles with you, but it'll also be up on the screen, is Proverbs 4. Now, Proverbs 4, essentially all the way through that section, is a sort of a, a speaking to wisdom. But the area that I want to focus particularly on is verses five through seven. Now in this, one of the things that I will say is, is that the gentleman is speaking essentially to his son, and he's utilizing a literal but analogal sense of a woman. And this woman is essentially very enticing. She is quite good looking. And what he is saying to the son is, be careful, because as great as this lady is from afar, I'm going to tell you in wisdom that the closer you get, she is actually death. Now, that can be literal, but it also can be metaphorical in the sense that oftentimes we like to see lady wisdom, don't we? The wisdom of the world. It sounds good. It sounds enticing. It sounds right to our ears in the moment. And yet the wisdom that we see from Scripture is so counterintuitive to what the world will say. Oftentimes we look at it and we think, that's crazy, right? Somebody hits you, the world says, get even, hit them back. The Bible says, love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. That doesn't sound right, does it? And so interestingly enough, Proverbs 4, 5, and 7, uh, 5 through 7, first and foremost says this, get wisdom. Friends, get wisdom. That's the, the big plea right here. Get wisdom. Get biblical wisdom. Get understanding. And do not forget my words or swerve from them. Interestingly enough, the father speaking to the son in this sort of analogy is saying, hey, get wisdom. Get understanding, 
And then he is saying, don't forget my words or swerve from them. Friends, how often do we tend to forget the word of God in our lives? Or better yet, in our own anger or in our own rage or in the guise of the world, we tend to swerve from it. Do not forsake wisdom, and she will protect you. Love her, and she will watch over you. Now, obviously, speaking sort of as lady wisdom in this analogy, wisdom is not a female, there's not an actual person that you're going to go to and find. But he's speaking and saying, look, love the wisdom that's been given to you by the scriptures. And she, meaning the wisdom of the Bible, will watch over you. Wisdom is for supreme, therefore get it. Though it costs you all you have, get understanding. Friends, sometimes wisdom and understanding in a biblical sense might cost you all you have. And the world might look at you as a fool. I think I've heard that somewhere. Sometimes... Wisdom and understanding may cost all that you have. And it might not make any sense to the world. But then the wisdom comes to the one who is. The great giver of wisdom, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The other thing too, I'm going to just ask you a quick question, okay? Uh, We're going to just throw this out. How many of you right now, if I said, look, um, I can give you, right? First person that comes up here right now, I can give you $20 million, right? Just come up, get it, it's yours, you got it, in my left hand. Or I can give you wisdom in my right hand, right? kind of feel like the matrix, right? Which pill are you going to take? What one are you going to take? Okay. Are you going to take the 20 million? Are you going to take wisdom? Here's what I'll tell you. I'll take wisdom any day and twice on Sunday. And there's a proverb that says that. Proverbs 16, 16. How much better to get wisdom than gold? to choose understanding than silver. Because $20 million is a lot of money, but if you're not wise, $20 million can be blown like that. And we see it all the time in what's called the lottery. Friends, wisdom is supreme. Biblical wisdom is what we strive for in our life. It is essentially priceless. It's better than silver. It's better than gold. And that's what we're called to look for. And here's what I want to tell you. I've said before that we're rich in Jesus Christ. Well, guess what? We're rich when we follow the wisdom of the Bible because it's wealthier than gold, wealthier than silver, as the Proverbs state. So friends, the first thing that I want to tell you before we even dive into the two kinds of wisdom is we see all the way back in Proverbs about the importance of biblical wisdom. Living for God. Hearing and knowing who He is. 
and recognizing that at times, to be honest with you, in situations that will come up for all of us, when the world says X, God says Y. When the world says go with the flow, it's much easier, God says no, paddle upstream. Be different. And here's what I want to tell you. What's interesting about this oxbow is as you turn on the river, you begin to feel the current against you. But once you're in the oxbow, that's when there is an immense peace. And how many of us have, in this analogy, had a situation come up upon us, and we've had two choices? We've had worldly wisdom or worldly advice. We go to friends and they say, man, if I were you, I would do this. Right? And then all of a sudden, you go over to the Bible and you creak it open in hesitation and the Bible says, if I were you, I would do why. X or why? World or God? Pride and self-promotion, service and sacrifice. James says in verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it or her by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Now friends, please hear me. What I want to tell you is this. I don't want anybody thinking here that if you're following biblical wisdom, that means that you're going to have a perfect life. Okay? That's not what's being said here. I don't want anybody sitting there saying, man, I'm doing everything I can to follow the Bible. I'm doing everything I can to honor Jesus. And my life, okay, is tough. I've got challenges. I've got things going on. I've had things happen, et cetera, et cetera. That's not what's being said. But would anybody say, who might be even going through something that's hard, that as you follow Jesus, it is a good life? You see how that works? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. And so, brothers and sisters, what I want to tell you in verse 13, the first thing that we see is that true godly Wisdom is shown in humble actions. Now, I'm not talking about humility guised in arrogance. I'm talking about just humbly serving Jesus Christ. Our world says what? When you do something, take all the credit. Our world says when something happens, you're the one who receives it. Some of you might, Facebook, okay, there's a, there's a, a great... Um, Great illustration of this, okay? There's two kids playing basketball. Some of you might have seen this. One kid is just given all he can in what I would say sort of a verbal bashing. You see this kid come in and essentially do his thing and dunks on this other guy and then just kind of, you know, I'm the greatest, latest, best there is that you've ever seen, et cetera, et cetera. And this other kid doesn't say a word, okay? just plays the game, goes down, does his thing, 
he's sitting there, he's sitting up, and this other guy's just sitting there looking at him, and I mean, you can just basically tell that he's telling him, like, you know, you're nothing, et cetera, et cetera, you know, I'll save the expletives, whatever it might be, and he makes a shot, okay? And this exchange goes back and forth for quite some time, and this one kid doesn't say a word. He just humbly plays the game while this other kid is every time he makes a shot saying I'm the best, etc., etc., etc. And interestingly enough, it comes down to the final shot. And the guy that's saying I'm the best shoots the basket and scores, but there's a couple of seconds left, and the other kid plays his game, goes down, shoots, and wins the game. Now, you would think that afterwards, what's your immediate reaction? Okay, now the game is over. I've kept quiet, and I just, you know, now I'm going to get in your face, and I'm going to tell you how great I am, and blah, 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 and you know, now you can stick it, and blah, 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 right? No, the kid just walks off the field. True humility does this thing doesn't talk in pride or arrogance. That's what we're talking about when we walk with Jesus Christ. Godly wisdom is shown in humble actions. How many of you at times have had something occur to you and your first inclination is X? Do this, get even, get back, or feels good. Everybody else is doing it. Maybe I should, right? Well, I'm also going to tell you this. Proverbs 14, 12 says this. There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. There were a lot of times in my younger life that seemed right to me. Seemed really good to me. Felt really good to me. And to be honest with you, what was it doing? It was leading me straight to death. Seemed right. Seemed wise. Everybody was telling me that I should do it. But it led to death. And so James essentially asks this question, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Let me ask you another question. The more that you've walked with Jesus and the more wise you've become in him, the more humble we are, aren't we? And yet so often in the world, so many ways seem right, but end up leading to death. And friends, what I want to tell you this, this is not legalistic. I'm not telling you that everybody needs to look like me, talk like me, and act like me. But what I am asking is this. Are we living our life professing to be Christian, yet throwing out the wisdom that the Bible gives every time that we leave the church? Because there are a lot of ways of the world that seem right to a man. But I promise you that those ways will lead to death. The other thing that I want to tell you is this. If we're followers of Jesus, if we're truly Christian, if we are to emulate Jesus Christ in our life, then what I want to propose to you 
is what we see in Philippians 2, verses 3 through 5. If we're emulating Jesus, then rather than self-promotion, rather than self-gratitude, rather than pride and power, our lives are to be one of humility, sacrifice, and service. We see in these beautiful words, Paul writes and says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. I want to stop there for a minute. How many of us have been on Facebook and seen some of the interactions that happen among people who have differences of opinion? I mean, they're so beautiful. I like white. Oh, I like black. You do. Oh, that's okay. You know what? Come over to my house and we'll paint the house gray. Doesn't end that way, does it? Usually it ends with, you know, expletive this or expletive that or you're a bleep that or you're whatever. What happened to considering others better than ourselves? Now, I'm not saying giving in to what you believe. That's not what I'm talking about. But our world is so full of pride and arrogance and deceit and all of these things. Rather than looking and saying, you know what? We're all sinners in need of a savior. Each of you should look out not only to your own interests, right? The world says, you know, it's rough out there. Just take care of yourself. Do what you need to do to get by and don't worry about anybody else. Sounds good. Except each of you should look out not only for your own interests. Ah, that sounds good. Let's just stop there, Jesus. But also the interests of others. Do we care about the interests of others or do we care about our own agenda? Do we care about the needs of other people or do we care about being comfortable? Do we care that people don't know Jesus Christ or are we just glad to come in and get a comfy seat on Sundays? Your attitude should be that as the same of Christ Jesus. Oof. Brothers and sisters, I'll tell you that there are moments where I will let you know that my attitude is nothing but that of Christ Jesus. But then I read this, and then I see what's been written in Proverbs, and then I see what God has done for me, and I see how God asks us to model Christ to other people. And it is so counterintuitive, and it is so contrary to the flow of the river of worldly wisdom But yet what I come to find is as I make that turn, it is the right turn to make. Because that's what we're called to be as followers of Jesus Christ. True godly wisdom is shown in humble actions. Serving, loving, encouraging, pouring into people. Some of the most amazing people that I've met are some of the most humble individuals that I know. I'm going to take a minute and can I, can, I just, can I just uplift my father for a minute, my, my true dad, okay? My father 
is one of the most humble people that I've met. He's interacted with some very powerful individuals in his life. And one of his greatest things that he says to me all the time is he says, Trevor, there will always be someone smaller, but there will always be somebody greater. And don't worry about what your position is life. Look to make the person that's smaller greater, and look to make the person that's greater greater than they already are. That's humility. That's service. That's why I love my dad. We continue on. James starts talking about the other aspect of wisdom. He turns in verse 14 and he says, But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Can I... How many of us have ever harbored bitter thoughts in our lives? Thank you for being honest, right? I'll raise my hand too, okay? I'm not saying that it's, it's unnatural. That's our natural inclination. The first thing that happens in our life when something goes wrong is bitterness, anger, revenge, get back. But yet... If we're walking with Jesus, our next response is no, that's not the path that we should do. At any time, we remember and recognize that Jesus could have got even. At any time, Jesus could have gotten off the cross. At any time, Jesus could have said, I'm too good for this. I don't need to do this. Why am I here? But what do we know? Jesus, what? Endured the cross, scorning its shame. Was led quietly like a lamb to the slaughter. He didn't retort, but rather he did it in humility and sacrifice so that we might have eternal life through him. Friends, how are we in humility and sacrifice giving up our own desires so that others might come to Jesus Christ? Or are we at all? James puts it straight out. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. Get even. If it feels good, do it. Everybody else is doing it. Why not you? Get a lawyer. Sue them. Get all you can. And so what James is essentially saying in these verses is, while appealing and seductive, earthly wisdom leads to destruction. Appealing, and I chose the word seductive, and the reason that I did is if we go back into Proverbs and we look at Proverbs 4, the speaking in this analogous sense is essentially that of an enticing woman. Sensual seductive and what I mean by that is is how many of us in our lives in worldly wisdom are seduced by it enticed by the appeal by the ease by the feeling that it brings and what James is saying is that such wisdom doesn't come down from heaven but is earthly unspiritual of the devil let me give you some devilish wisdom. 
Why not do it? Sounds good, doesn't it? God didn't say it. You're, you're not going to die. He just doesn't want you to be like him. There's a way that seems right to a man. But in the end, it leads to death. You see, the enemy is constantly whispering in our ears, enticing us, seducing us, drawing us to the way of the world. What I want to tell you, to be honest with you, is this. If the enemy can't keep you from Jesus, the enemy is going to keep you from what? The wisdom of Jesus. That's his next step. Gosh darn it, can't keep them. They know Christ, they're going to heaven. Awesome, praise God for it. But my next thing is this, I'm gonna do everything I can to seduce them with the wisdom of the world and make them become more worldly so their effectiveness in ministry is lessened. James just says it. That wisdom isn't coming down from heaven, but it's earthly, unspiritual, and it's of the devil. For wherever you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. How often have you seen in the world where there's envy and disorder because two people are fighting for their own idea? And essentially, the two people end up destroying the entity that is there. Because in their pride and in their arrogance, they can't come to a compromise. My way or the highway, and unfortunately the highway never gets paved. While appealing and seductive, earthly wisdom leads to destruction. The other thing, too, it's interesting, and, and I, uh, I like what R.C. Sproul says. I'm going to read this quote in a minute. Um, but we look particularly in verse 15, and you'll notice such wisdom, okay, and it's in quotes right there. Uh, essentially, how this is written and the manner of how it's constructed in the Greek is, this is false, okay, so they put a quotation around it. Such wisdom. It's like false. It's not true wisdom. It's the wisdom of the world as they would qualify it. But it isn't truly defined wisdom. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven but is earthly unspiritual. It's an interesting word that James chooses to use. And this is where I'd like to take this. R.C. Sproul speaks to this. He says, the qualifier, unspiritual, in verse 15, helps us to see that with the use of earthly, okay, so he says, earthly, unspiritual, James is not disparaging all things that arise from the physical order. Now, I think that's important to see. It doesn't mean that anything that comes from someone you should just not listen to. Right? You should listen to wisdom. There can be godly wisdom. There can be godly instruction from other people. But the next thing is, is to check it according to Scripture, right? To look at it and say, okay, you know, my friend or friends told me this. 
Scripture says that. Y is equaling Y. That's probably a good thing, right? Then he continues on. He says, rather, earthly hears to refers to a mindset that does not consider God's sovereign rule or his will for creation. I want to pause there. Every week we say what? Not my will, but thy will be done. And I say this all the time, and and I'm going to keep saying it, and probably somebody is going to come up and preach it uh, some Sunday, and they're going to say it, and everybody's going to be like, aha, and I'm going to be like, I've been saying that for years, right? Do we mean it? Not my will, but thy will be done. Do we trust the sovereignty of God? Do we recognize that in a time where we want to lash back at someone and God says, no, forgive your neighbor and pray for those who persecute you, that we do and we go over and we pray for them and as we pray for them, they throw egg all over our face and we want to get even again and we continue to pray and they throw more egg on our face and we continue to pray, but that God is sovereign and that he is working and that all things good are coming from his sovereignty? Such earthly wisdom, unlike biblical wisdom, is not rooted in the fear of the Lord. Now, it's not afraid, okay? The the word here, fear, is not being afraid of God. It's fear, reverence, awe, submission, is what R.C. Sproul is saying. And so the next question I want to ask you is this. When, not if, when something occurs in your life and there are two roads to take, earthly wisdom, get even, have it your way. If it feel good, do it, whatever that might be. Or pray for those that persecute, forgive those who've hurt, help those who are in need, right? Will we consider the wisdom of God? Will we consider the sovereignty of God? Bigger question, do we fear God? the Lord, reverence and awe, not afraid. And friends, here's what I want to tell you. If we don't fear the Lord, we are not biblically wise, period. Let me say that one more time. If we do not fear the Lord, we are not biblically wise, And so one of the things that I want to tell you is this. The first step in being biblically wise is having a fear or a reverence for God. And lovingly, I don't have to worry about that statement because it's backed by Proverbs 1.7. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord, reverence, awe, is the beginning of knowledge or wisdom. But fools despise wisdom and discipline. And so lovingly, friends, I'm going to say this in humility. Is it possible that you're a fool who's trying to follow Jesus? Because you're despising the wisdom that's given in Scripture. Do you see how that works? Now, God loves you. God cares about you. God knows you. God wants you. 
But it's entirely possible that you're sitting there saying, oh yeah, I want all of Jesus, but I want nothing of the Bible. That doesn't make sense, does it? You can't have Jesus without the Bible. The Bible is the revelation of God, which lets us know who Jesus is, what he has done, what he is doing, will do in our lives, according to the promises of Scripture, and then it instructs us on, lovingly, non-legalistically, how to live our lives for him. And so humbly but quite seriously, what I want to tell you is, if you're looking for life, abundant life in Christ, but you're not looking for that in the scriptures, and you're hearing about Jesus, but you're not looking to the word, and friends, what I'm going to tell you is you're not finding wisdom, you're finding foolishness. And also notice this, fools despise wisdom and discipline. Does anybody like to be disciplined? They don't like to be disciplined. I, I, I don't like being disciplined, I'll be honest with you. But what's the root word there? Discipline sounds very similar to what? Disciple. In fact, the two are one and the same. A disciple of Jesus is one who is disciplined in his teaching, who submits to himself as rabbi, for lack of a better word. We look into scriptures and we see all individuals in the day of Jesus following a rabbinical teaching, submitting themselves to the teaching of the rabbis. And along comes Jesus who is what? The king rabbi. And so what do we do? Well, we submit ourselves to the teaching of Christ, which is written in the word, found in the scriptures. And so friends, what I want to tell you is, is in order to do that, we must revere God we must hail him as Lord. We must recognize his sovereignty. And we must trust his will for creation. So as we look and we see, we've come to discover that true godly wisdom is shown in humble actions, but also we recognize, as James says, that while it is appealing and seductive, earthly wisdom leads to destruction. And then finally, in verses 17 through 18, we see James turn the corner. And he says, essentially, but the wisdom. So, again, I've said before, whenever there's a but in the Bible, you want to pay attention to it. Okay? Any but in the Bible means there is a transition from past to next, and there is a point being made that we should recognize and uh, see what is being taught. And so the next aspect is that true godly wisdom, this is what I want to show you, is pure and peace-loving, which results in a harvest of righteousness. But the wisdom that comes from heaven, verse 17, is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, Friends, oftentimes the wisdom that we see in Scripture is going to call us to submit away from our desire and our will to the will of Scripture. What I will tell you this is if you're in a situation and your friends say why and the Bible says, 
Acts, excuse me, and the Bible says why. And you're sitting there going, oh, I want to go this way, but I know that's the way to go, and you're going to have to submit your own will. I'm telling you that that's the wisdom that you should follow. Submissive in what is being said. Friends, oftentimes when you're in a situation and you're getting advice and it's counterintuitive and what you're hearing sounds good but the word of God is telling you go this direction and you're saying, man, I really want to do this but that's the way that I'm supposed to go. It's saying, while this makes sense to me and looks good and feels good and is the immediate gratification, that is the submissive way that I should go. Full of mercy, get even. Pray for those who persecute you. Sue them, forgive them, and love them in Jesus Christ. Okay? Those kinds of things. Now, please hear me. I'm not saying that there isn't a time to pursue legal action, okay? But I think our world, and particularly the American culture, the first thing that we think whenever we are wronged is. Call the attorney and get all I can get. Impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Back to this analogy of the Snake River, I've said before that as the Snake River flows, it's beautiful, and as you turn into the oxbow, you can see and tell the force on the kayak. I've often wondered just how hard I would truly have to paddle, particularly in June, when the flow of the river is massive. And I don't know that my paddling strength could keep me, essentially, in the same spot. I've often felt that no matter how hard I paddle, I would still be carried down the river. But as you turn into the oxbow and get into the area of where this absolute beautiful nature preserve is, you enter into this just realm of peace. Okay, this is an analogy. But I think it speaks so true to what's here. Friends, I promise you, that when you're forced with a situation to either seek worldly wisdom or godly wisdom, you're gonna be going with the flow and everything's gonna be fine and then all of a sudden you're gonna be able to st or start saying this is the way that I should go and as you make that turn, the flow of worldly wisdom is gonna come against you and it's going to be harder for the moment to keep moving to godly wisdom. But there will be a point, maybe not in this life, where you will experience the peace of God. Now, fortunately, prayerfully, I can say there have been moments where I've really wanted to go with worldly wisdom and I've sought godly wisdom and it was hard. But also, I've been fortunate enough after the hardness to experience the peace of following the wisdom of biblical counsel. And it is a great peace, and there is a great hope, recognizing that in that, you've sown a harvest of righteousness. I want to say one other thing. Is it more important to be right than to be righteous? Is it more important to be right than to be righteous? 
I'll say it one more time. Is it more important to be right than to be righteous? And friends, for those of you that were slow like me, the answer is righteous. I would rather be wrong yet righteous than be right and unrighteous before God. Jesus sends this himself. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. It's better to make peace. It's better to be at peace with God. It's better to be righteous before God than unrighteous. And in that, friends, you are a son or daughter of the living king. We've seen this question asked today, and James talks essentially about two kinds of wisdom. And I fully recognize, and I will tell you that there, I'm sure, are going to be moments where I will seek worldly wisdom over godly counsel. But I pray each and every day that as I continue to grow in Jesus, as we as a body grow in Jesus, that we will turn more to biblical wisdom than the wisdom of the world. James says essentially through this passage that true godly wisdom is shown in humble actions. He also says, I get it, that it's appealing and seductive, but I want to tell you is that earthly wisdom is going to lead to destruction. And I'm going to also tell you that true godly wisdom is pure peace-loving and it's going to leave a harvest of righteousness. The aspect that I want to leave you with this morning is this, that we are to seek godly wisdom which will result in purity, peace, and a harvest of righteousness when you are confronted, not if, the choice to either seek earthly counsel or godly wisdom my encouragement to you is to go back to this passage and recognize that while it might be counterintuitive, while it might be against the flow of the world, while it might cause greater energy or greater strife, to turn to biblical wisdom and recognize that as you do, you will find a great peace and a great strength in the God who is, who is sovereign over all and is bringing about his will for creation to be done. We are to seek godly wisdom which will result in purity, peace, and a harvest of righteousness. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you for the word of James. We thank you for the practical words that he gives. We thank you that he doesn't beat around the bush, that he sets up essentially two very different types of wisdom that will encounter the believer in Jesus Christ. And in that, Lord, I pray as we look in your word, as we study your scripture, as we walk with one another and humble ourselves before you, when we allow you to permeate our hearts and our lives, that we will continue to seek more and more the biblical wisdom that is given in the scriptures rather than the worldly wisdom that leads to destruction. <coughs> we thank you for all that you are. We pray all of these things in your name, dear Jesus, and we ask it by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people say, amen.